that's really important to remember that often people don't like change and don't like things that they don't understand but actually with you know the importance of science communication and the work that you're doing if it's communicated properly and you bring people on board change can happen and can not just be accepted but celebrated Hello and welcome to The Lodgecast, a nature and wildlife podcast brought to you by The Beaver Trust. I'm Sophie Pavel. And I'm Eva Bishop. Each episode we bring you the latest news from The Beaver Trust as we welcome beavers back to our rivers to restore our countryside and create resilient landscapes. And we also explore the state of nature in the UK and speak to fascinating experts and inspiring individuals along the way. To finish series three of the podcast, we're chatting to award-winning wildlife filmmaker and good friend Nina Constable. Hey Eva, can you believe it? We are on the last episode of series three. Where on earth has the time gone? I don't know, but it's going to be a good one. I can feel it. Um, We've covered quite a lot of ground in this series, haven't we? What have been your highlights? Oh gosh, so many. I mean, we've had such a variety of different topics, haven't we? But um, I have to say that I just absolutely adored chatting with Isabella Tree and just hearing about NEP going from strength to strength and they're just being so brilliant at coming up with exciting, uh, brave and just revolutionary plans yet again for for their land, for the future. And it's just such a strong feeling of hope came out of that episode for me. What about you? Yeah, lots of good nuggets of hope from all our guests, actually, haven't there been? I I really loved uh, Arlen's description of river function and Mm. how it should be and the the invertebrates living hundreds of metres from the river underneath our feet. What an image. That was great. Yeah, Yeah, that was great. There's there's so much to to ponder on. Mm, Um, Indeed. It's been a fantastic series. But yeah, and we've mentioned it several times this series, but if you follow us on social media or have signed up for our wonderful newsletter, you won't have missed it. So following the amazing success of our film, Beavers Without Borders in 2020, we've gone on to make another film called On the Edge. And I'm just so excited that we've got the Wonder Woman behind it all, filmmaker Nina Constable, joining us today. Oh, I feel like her presence on the Lodgecast is long overdue. And I know she's a <laughs> yeah. fan of the Lodgecast too. She's just such an amazing, inspiring person to work with. And one of my favourite bits about making On the Edge was the opportunity to go under the water and snorkel in a very cold <laughs> Dartmoor River and see what what lies beneath and just exploring this hidden world that we overlook so easily. And then, of course, meeting the amazing Arlen, who's uh, episode three of this series of the Lodgecast and just learning about our rivers and their story um, has just been and to have Nina kind of guiding us and leading us through that story has just been a complete privilege. Yeah, can you give us some nuggets of being under the water with Jack Perks? Uh, How was that? What did you cold? learn? I felt very buoyant. Um, my legs are naturally quite buoyant, I feel. Whenever I've snorkeled before, I just seem to want to be rising to the surface. <laughs> <laughs> Completely against my will. Feet first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, it was great. I'll tell you what, the main thing that I was so struck by is how blooming strong these fish have to be to deal with the immense flows and obviously they navigate upstream when they want to go spawn and we had flippers and wetsuits and hoods and um you know I'm quite fit and healthy and yet still I had to work so hard to 
have a forward trajectory through this flow of water um, as I neared the the waterfall and just having an appreciation for a fish that was about the size of my foot trying to do the same. Um, and we're being pushed around by this by these bubbles and flows. It was just a huge, massive respect for river animals and the water and stuff. So hopefully some of that might come across in the film. There you have it. Sophie's Sophie struggling society. <laughs> um, one of the many things we're talking about today. So with Nina, we're going to look at movie making, being a one-woman band and motherhood. Mm. It's, it's really, it's going to be a fantastic episode. It is, and it's um, it's amazing to see her at work. You know, she's a producer, director, editor, scriptwriter, and she does it all by herself. And yet, she manages to keep such a cool, calm, sort of very Cornwall esque persona while she's mm. doing it. She's based in Cornwall, um, and I imagine there's lots of budding young filmmakers listening to this episode who are huge fans of Nina's. Yeah, I'm particularly excited to dive into how she can be a role model for young women trying to get into this because I imagine it might be quite a hard space to move into and takes lots of courage. Totally, yeah. We're thrilled to finally welcome Nina Constable to the Lodgecast. Nina is an award-winning self-shooting director based in Cornwall, UK. Her films are screened in festivals globally and her work has featured in many national broadcasts. Nina is dedicated to capturing and exploring the world we live in, believing in the power of film and photography to educate and inspire and ultimately to protect. Nina, hi, welcome to the Lodgecast. I feel like we should have done this a long time ago with you, but we're so pleased that you've had time to, to chat to us this afternoon. Well, thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. <laughs> so first of all, first of all, we need to dive into the fact off. Oh, straight away. You know the game by now, I think. Um, <laughs> we know you listen to the Lodgecast, which we're flattered by. Your first task <laughs> as the guest on our final episode of season three is to decide who wins this episode's Beaver Fact Off. Um, so I will kick us off with a you know, slightly tenuously linked one, but we'll see where it goes. Um, <laughs> it's all a bit desperate, series three. So in the Middle Ages, beekeepers believed castorium from the beaver could increase the honey production of bees. There may have been some truth behind this, we think, mm. since it has been found to have strong antibiotic properties and might have protected the bees from disease or acted as a deterrent to bee mites. So, wow. Middle Ages beekeepers castorium <laughs> is, is my fact. Whoa. I'm intrigued as to how they used it. What they did with I know. it. It would be nice <laughs> to have a little window back in time. So, so many, many questions. questions. And, and again, the science communication <laughs> yeah. question mark starts to flash. <laughs> Truth or fiction? <laughs> yes. um, right, Sophie, over to you. Okay, so um, this one is about disease. So beavers are not a major disease threat to humans, but they can indeed transmit bacterial infections. This one called Gaiardia. Gyardiasis. I think I've said that right. I'm sure Roisin Campbell Palmer will correct me. That's Giardia. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. There we go. Uh, I'll let Eva take that one. But basically, <laughs> it's also known as the beaver fever, via con and, you, and you contract it via contact with infected feces or uh, infected water. So, so that's it. You can't. They can transmit diseases, and it also made the main thing is that it made me feel bad that I do so much hashtagging on Beaver Trust social media. Hashtag Beaver Fever. 
I do the same. I use fever fever all the time. I know. I know. So I think this is more a note to self <laughs> that actually I'm com- I'm communicating probably quite a uh, a, a real very real disease. What is it, it again? It's either Jardia. It's the J at the beginning, but I think it's like a DMV thing. Lovely. There yeah. We go. Nice. Beaver fever. Again, Takes quite a, a desperate new. fact. <laughs> Nina, what do you think? <laughs> so what do you think? Oh my gosh, well they're both quite Such a tough decision. tricky, aren't they? <laughs> you can tell it's the end of the series. <laughs> It'll get better in a minute. Um. Um, I think I might just have to go with Sophie's just because I love the fact that beaver fever is a real yeah. thing and it's something that I've been hashtagging myself and <laughs> said a lot. I even sing it sometimes. <laughs> Yes, Beaver Fever, the song. Saturday Thank you very much. And uh, Emma Bristian, our producer, I believe, has the final scores of who won the fact off for this series, please. Drum roll. Do you know what, guys? It's a tie. <laughs> no. You've got three for three. So I've been thinking, it kept me up last night late. I thought, what am I going to do about this if they tie? I bet. I think what we could do is leave it to listeners. If you both pick your favourite personal fact that you've come up with this series, maybe the we whole could series. do a nice. Twitter poll. Uh, and you can, I can't you can remember pick, any of them. <laughs> well, we've got them documented. We'll leave little reminders <laughs> on Twitter and you can vote for yes. your favourite. Good. Beaver Very good. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well... <laughs> Um, righty ho. So let's get into this then. Nina, I mean, there's so much to talk about here, but anyone who has seen your films or come across you on social media will know you as a brilliant filmmaker and that you create content that is not only visually stunning and distinctive, but also has a really important message and shines a light on the fantastic work being done in the environmental sector. How did it all begin for you? And did you ever see, imagine yourself doing the work that you're doing now? God, I'll try and give you the short version because I can sometimes find myself rambling quite a bit with this. Um, but I think it was definitely, it wasn't something that I grew up kind of imagining this would be the job that I would do. I wasn't one of those children that, yeah, just wanted to be a filmmaker. It was definitely something that as I had a growing understanding of the environmental situation, I started to think about how I might be able to help. And when I was studying film for my master's, it wasn't even a focus then. That was It was much more focused on people and anthropological. But again, well, that's interesting. Yeah, kind of the humanitarian side of things. But it was an internship that I did in Mozambique for a marine conservation organisation where I really started to understand how film can be used as a really powerful tool for conservation and started to understand how it not just in raising awareness but also helping to generate funds that can then be directed towards conservation and so that was kind of a switch flicked for me then and really from that moment I've kind of just forged a career kind of trying to get to the point where all I'm doing is working on conservation films and it took a little while it probably took about four years until that was the only thing that I was doing and I was doing wedding films on the side just to be able to kind of fund the work but um yeah so it's a slow burn a kind of growing understanding of the environmental situation and then me starting to see the impact that my films were having and that's kind of how I got to where where I am so now you're there and where you are which is in a really impressive and important and powerful position I think in the storytelling place what advice would you give to budding filmmakers right at the beginning of their journey 
because I suspect there are a lot of people who admire what you do and look up to you. And was there any advice you've received that has been helpful along the way? I think one of the best pieces of, of advice that I was given was just go out and make a film. Just think about something that you're interested in, even if it's something really tiny, like watching a bird feeding. Get your camera out if you have one or borrow one. You don't have to own a camera. Um, and just go and try and shoot something, put something together. And that way you really start to understand the way in which you want to work, whether you want to do everything like I do and make your life quite hard work, <laughs> or, whether, <laughs> or whether you'd like to work in a team of people and there's something that you're particularly drawn to, whether you really love the editing or it's the camera side that you really love. So I think the best piece of advice I was given was go out, make a film, and it doesn't really matter of what you put together it's the experience of doing that where you'll learn a huge amount why did you end up doing all of it then is it because you loved all of it or couldn't pick a favorite yeah I couldn't decide and I again I didn't set out thinking that this was going to be the way that I was going to work I had in my head that I would probably work as part of a bigger production and I didn't even think that the way in which I work was an option really And it was just through the smaller commissions that I started to get where they had very low budget. And I just thought, oh, well, I'll just try and do all of it. And then realised that I really loved working in that way. And definitely over the last few months, I've had to ask for help. Um, And that's been a really nice experience as well, actually, to realise there's an extra pair of hands and that I don't have to do absolutely everything. But generally, I do really, I love the whole process from the scripting the speaking to people, the learning, the research, then being out filming, but then also the magic of seeing everything coming together in the edit and the things I'd imagined, like seeing them all, yeah, come together. I, I really love it. Very cool. Mm. I like that. Um, Nina, on the on the Lodgecast, and I think just generally in, in Beaver Trust, um, we're really keen to champion awesome women and to celebrate those who are a great role model for, for other women and girls. But sometimes it feels like there's this kind of tendency to reduce um, female achievements by adding on at the end, you know, the, oh, and she's a woman, like she's done all of this and she's a woman. What's your, do you have any experience with this or, or what are your thoughts about um, being a very kind of independent, empowered woman in a very competitive, often male dominated industry? I think to be honest, I've been really lucky in my career to not really have experienced too much of that and I don't know whether that's because I've kind of always skirted around the kind of periphery of being really in a huge production team um, mm. I think there's definitely been times when I've turned up and they've been surprised that I'm a woman and that also that I'm doing everything on my own that I'm carrying all of my own camera gear and there's that like you're going to carry that tripod or you're going to do that and but mm. I think that's probably the extent of any negativity that I've experienced and I think it's actually been actually one of the things that I've found really lovely and I think because it's not something that I think about very much um, I get lots of messages from budding female filmmakers asking about being Mm. women in the industry and that makes me reflect on it and think about it and but I, I would say I've been quite lucky um, but I think because I haven't thought about it too much, it hasn't been something that's intimidated me. And that's one thing that I would say to other filmmakers to just to not worry about it and not mm. think that because you're a woman, you might not be considered or because you're a woman, you might not be able to do this out the other and just go for it. If you want to pitch for something or yeah, 
to, to not be intimidated and don't let it hold you back. Mm. That's very inspiring to hear. I hope everyone loves, loves that and shares that advice. Um, environmentally speaking, how do you balance or think about your environmental footprint with a career that can be seen as quite a jet city one with lots of travel and kit and things like that? Is that something that you take really seriously and leads your sort of planning or how do you, how do you balance all that? Yeah, it's definitely something that I've considered more over the last few years. And I think last year especially was actually a really good, not a good thing to happen, but a good thing for me to reflect in the way in which I worked and actually to rather than me flying off to, you know, with Beavers Without Borders, I didn't go to Bavaria. We worked with a German filmmaker Mm. on location and actually directed remotely. And I think that was a real eye-opener as to how remotely you can work but also how important it is to try and work with local people and that I don't have to do absolutely everything if there is another option and to try and work a little bit more collaboratively if I can Um, and I think that yeah last year was definitely something that um, even if it was something I considered before I think a big thing with it is trust and especially when I have a very specific way in which I like to shoot things And if it's another camera operator, it might look a bit different. But I think it's also sometimes just letting go of that control or knowing that Mm. I can direct somebody in a way where they're going to understand it and they're going to capture things and it will look beautiful and I'll be happy with it. So I think it's, um, yeah, it's it's the experience of doing it. And as you know, Raina, who is the filmmaker who worked on Beavis Without Borders, his footage was so beautiful that actually I feel like it made me look Mm. like I was a better filmmaker than I am. (laughs) (laughs) The upsides. (laughs) The upsides are so short. (laughs) Now you're also very excitingly expecting your first child. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. And thank you you for sharing that with all our listeners as well. (laughs) Linking back to the the, uh, being a woman in this industry, did you want to get to a certain stage in your career before having children? Has that been a consideration yeah it definitely has and I think there was there was some like a feeling that if I hadn't got to a certain point that I don't know if this it sounds like a really bad thing to say but I almost felt like if I hadn't got to a certain point I might very easily be forgotten and it would be much harder to get back into it but then that kept moving I'd say like I just want to get to this point where I've done a kind of you know a 10 minute long documentary or I've won an award and then I feel like that might be a good time and then I'd get to that point and another really interesting project would come up. I'd want to be involved. And I'd be like, maybe after this one, this would be a good point. And so <laughs> the goalpost moved a lot. But it's definitely something that um, has taken me a few years to kind of reconcile with myself that there's never a good time. And if it is something mm. that I want to do, I just have to have confidence, self-confidence and confidence in the organisations that I work for that if I take six, nine months off soon, that they won't think I've forgotten how to make a film and that they might want to give me some work when I come back. <laughs> mm. This is this is one of the really common things and one of across industries and it's really um, good to hear your perspective on it from filmmaking actually. That feeling of, of being forgotten or not being relevant or not just being there. It's one of the biggest challenges for going mm. on maternity leave and, and having children and, and it is um, not an invalid uh, consideration either because it's certainly my experience of doing that was that that place was filled and I had to fight tooth and nail to get back into it and it was really and I, I know that's not a unique experience either so I think 
um, hopefully for you, there's the added bonus that you do everything and that you're, it's your own business. So that space isn't going to be filled. But I think it's really interesting to hear from someone who has yeah that honest mm. uh, view of a, it being a consideration. I think it's also, um, there's, I think it's getting a lot better. But the way that this conversation is framed often publicly is that um if like you, Nina, you know, you were saying you wanted to get to a certain point in your career. I think that is, is fantastic. And I think it's amazing to have that ambition and to have that self-awareness and to know that you've got more to give before you've got to give a lot of energy to raising a child. But I think that often um, in these creative industries or something, that ambition is often viewed quite negatively in some ways. I mean, I don't know if you have any, any thoughts on that. Do you mean in terms of kind of almost being too ambitious or kind of Yeah, being... or that like you can't be both. You can't be a mother and a successful person in the career. You kind of have to make one big decision. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Poorly framed question. But... No, I've definitely had that where I've kind of, I feel like um, often I've got a sister who's got two children and I feel like sometimes like family perspective on us is that my sister's the maternal nurturing caring one and I'm the hard-nosed ambitious career woman and you're like well I mean I love my work and I am ambitious but I also do think I'm, I can be maternal <laughs> so you know and you're like I mean, there definitely is this kind of the way in which we're perceived either or is either mm. or and I think you, you definitely can be both and it's been something that you know I want to be as good as I can be at my job but I also want to be as good a mum as I can be as well Mm. but then I also I love my work so much that I I don't want to give it up and I really do want to Mm. come back and so then it's thinking about I I think I'm going to have to wait until I get there and see how it all goes but I really want to work out a balance of getting back to work and still being able to give you know Mm. a lot to that and feeling proud of the work that I produce at the same time not forgetting that I decided to have a child (laughs) (laughs) I actually have a question for both um Eva and Nina, all the women in the house. Between all of us, we have different stages. So Emma and I don't have kids. We're not pregnant, but Nina's pregnant. Eva has kids. Um, It's a bit of an odd subject to discuss and it's very personal, but um, I feel like more and more there's this kind of growing anxiety and a conversation that has to be had in terms of, you know, on the one hand, we're being told to live a greener lifestyle, to make green choices, and that we must do our our bit for the planet. But obviously, raising a child and having children nowadays gives you know a large carbon footprint, and it's and it's an intensive, long, long process to do so. But also on the other flip side, it's human instinct to want to have children and procreate and to give uh, to kind of honor your maternal instinct and not to deny it. Have either of you had any thoughts on this kind of very messy conundrum? And do you have any advice for people who might be battling with those decisions and maybe feeling pulled in a million different directions there? This is it's something that I've thought about a lot. Um, And especially after your article that you wrote in the Metro, I think I was about four weeks pregnant when I read that and it was a really good thing for me I had thought about it beforehand but then I think when you read something like that it can really makes you reflect quite deeply on it and on your decisions and it was something that I'd spoken to lots of people about and I think it definitely does have a large carbon footprint but if 
everybody in the conservation sector decided not to have children, <laughs> then I think mm. um, one for me, how I see it is that I am deciding to have children out of hope. And my partner's a marine biologist and works in conservation as well. And my hope is that we will bring up a child that will be environmentally aware and hopefully will do some good for the planet. Um, and would definitely not consider having more than two either. That would be where we would mm. kind of stop. But I think, yeah, rather than not having children out of kind of feeling like it was futile um, or, I fear. Feel like or fear, yeah, exactly. Just deciding to have children because I, f- I feel maybe naively, but hopeful. Mm, I love that. Yeah, so this is something I've talked about a lot and discussed with parents and um, have discussed in climate circles with other mums and it's a really, really huge topic and it discusses my younger sister who's just had a baby and was thinking about whether or not she should. And I think there are two sides to it two or three sides to it for me. One is the carbon footprint, um, which I think as responsible parents and environmentally conscious people, you can do a huge amount to reduce. So the assumption that you know your child will adopt the British average carbon footprint doesn't can be completely smashed. There are things that we can't avoid mm. um, and another person will add to the mix, but you can do a lot to reduce that if you live really responsibly. And, and indeed, as Nina said, you can... You can turn it around to make it a thing of hope and and raise your children to spread hope and use their creativity to solve some of our challenges. And that's really lovely. But the the darker side to having children right now is um, what they're going to face. And I can already hear my voice wobbling. (laughs) I am terrified about what my kids are going to face. And it makes me really, really sad because Mm. I know the the challenges they're going to have are going to be really, really awful and heartbreaking. Mm. And because they're my kids, I don't want that for them. And that we are, you know, steamrollering towards it. And actually, if I had engaged properly with that decision before I had kids, I would think twice. Now, given where we are, that's my honest answer. Thanks, Eva. But I love them to bits and I am glad they're here. So it's, I think it's something that no one can answer for anybody else. Because mm. as you said, Nina, human instinct is very strong and it's the world's greatest gift to have children it's so lovely Mm. but the 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 challenges they're going to face are staggeringly sad Mm. didn't see that coming did you thanks for that Eva (laughs) well as I said it's a tricky subject and it's incredibly personal and I think you know there's no right or wrong and I think it's it's all instinctive and we've got to go with our gut. And as you've both said, I think if all the conservation people decide not to have children, there's a whole army of children who might have solutions and the, the right mindset to deal with those awful things to come. So, but I think to be able to voice these concerns and be honest about it, I think is is a really positive step because I think it may encourage people to, to just really think about it and not um, you make these decisions lightly. And and I think they having the next generation, they hold us accountable for mistakes that we've made. And I think that's another thing is just kind of looking at it. And I feel like it might hopefully make you fight harder having that mm. generation. Like you said, you know, Eva, it makes you really emotional kind of seeing what future your children might face. But 
hopefully that might generate an e- like even bigger sense of urgency and an even bigger fight mm. to protect. But again, I think mm. maybe I'm a bit too naive sometimes or I have to be a bit No, naked, I think you're absolutely but... right. You're right. And it's the subject that I'm constantly pondering doing more about, you know, why aren't parents doing more for their kids' kids' future? And I think it's because of that absolutely huge thing that society's burying its head in the sand because it's too big to mm. contemplate. The, the emotions of it are too huge and the practicality of it is so huge that we are it's, it's absolutely inevitable that we'll see devastating loss mm. of life mm. and biodiversity and all that goes with it but you can use that to, to motivate yourself which is absolutely what I do and I'm sure mm. what most of you guys do why don't we get a bit of beaver in there <laughs> yes. uh, before we wrap up? So Nina, you have possibly some of the most extensive and best experience of filming with beavers, um, especially in England, uh, of late, I would argue. Do you have a favorite beaver experience or, or something that's most memorable? I imagine there's quite a few to choose from. Yeah, I think it has to be. And shame it's not a kind of wild encounter, but it has to be the day that they released at Woodland Valley Farm. Um, oh, it was nice. Oh, it was just the most incredible day. A I'd, unique experience. Yeah, mm. and I'd never actually seen one in the wild before, um, or in real life, I should say. It wasn't in the wild. But um, it was really busy that day because everyone was so excited and there was this, like, bustle of photographers and filmmakers kind of perched on this island, like, pushing each other into the water because everybody wanted to get the best shots. Um, but then (laughs) gradually everybody as the beavers kind of headed towards the far end of the pond everybody sort of dispersed and I think it was Chris who'd said to me like just stay where you are you know like just just hang on and as everybody dispersed the female beaver came right back down and literally bumped into the base of my tripod kind of looked up at me then realized that I was get eye contact it was unbelievable just literally looked straight up at me and then I think they've got really bad eyesight I think smelt me and then quickly scarpered (laughs) but it was just incredible to have never seen one in real life to having it literally inches away and totally on my own after everybody else had gone and I just it's one of those things where you're just like you're kind of you're, you hold your breath because you don't want to yeah. kind of impact the interaction. I'm not here. I'm not here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't smell me. But um, <laughs> that was just yeah, just absolutely amazing. And I think I was hooked from then on. Beaver believer. <laughs> A beaver believer. What an amazing memory. Um, Nina, we are as we're recording tomorrow is the final shoots for On the Edge after months of work and navigating through all the various complications around filming during covid and uh all these things um but we're really excited and it's a it's a lovely moment to kind of reflect on on the edge as a production so far um do you have any any memorable moments or um maybe some differences that you found between on the edge and beavers without borders i think one of the really memorable things was our conversation with arlen um, Arlen Rickard was just one of those people where you just want to listen to them for hours and hours and yeah, hours. And obviously in my head, I'm like, I have to edit this. I'm going to have to, yeah, you know, like not film them for three days, but just yeah. being in the presence of somebody who's just so, so educated, so passionate, 
but he just ha- he didn't have an angry bone in his body very aware no. of the kind of the plight of our rivers but just talking solutions and he was just so inspiring and then we also got to go on the wobbly Swaggy oh, moss grass, which was <laughs> thing. that was yeah. really looking forward to that. It there's a like lot. Hopefully, highlight. there's some good bloopers of us bouncing around on this. That was so much fun, marshy bog. Um, but that that was just. Sometimes you meet people that just that really stick, and you find yourself referring back to them quite a lot. And he was one of those people that just really inspired me. And so I think mm. it's just it feels like such a privilege with filmmaking when you get to meet those kinds of people. Um, but I would say with this, probably the difference with this is that um, because it's not as beaver focused, it's less on the kind of almost on the wildlife filming side that hasn't been a mm. real focus. It's been talking to the, the kind of the specialists and learning from them. And so then yeah. this one, it's kind of then just thinking about the visuals and how to make this one really beautiful because it's going to be really interesting, but it's not going to have the cute fluffy beavers or, mm. you know, that kind of the easy draws (laughs) yes it'll be interesting to see what people think of it and um also Nina was very kind when I had raging sinusitis during two of the shoots (laughs) (laughs) so hopefully um that won't be too obvious you say very kind forced you to turn up (laughs) (laughs) the show must go on she did make us go to Marks and Spencer's and get good snacks so it was a win-win now, Nina, um, our overarching theme for this series has been about hope. Oh. Hope in the time of ecological and climate crisis. Um, it's really <laughs> important, clearly. So we noticed that many of our guests and um, many of our internal conversations at Beaver Trust seem to focus around hope. And beavers are one of those subjects that really brings you back to things that can get better, which is really, really important. Um, what gives you hope for the future, for nature and the environment and, you know, where things might go? I think it's the people that I meet, you know, it's organisations like Beaver Trust that are working really hard to improve things, that are putting their time, their money, their effort into that. It's, you know, people like Arlen. Um, so I would say it's, yeah, it's the people on the ground that are really having an impact but then it is seeing things like the reintroduction of beavers and seeing that you know that was something that was seen as really controversial a few years ago or you know however many years ago and now it's something that people are actually proud to have beavers on their land proud Mm. to be involved in a reintroduction and I think that it's that kind of thing that shows that even the people that are anti-something they can come round, and I think that's really important to remember that often people don't like change and don't like things that they don't understand. But actually, mm. with you know the importance of science communication and the work that you're doing, if it's communicated properly and you bring people on board, change can happen and can not just be accepted but celebrated. Oh, lovely! I like Love that. that. Oh, what a positive Nina, tone. Nina, it's been so lovely to have you on and um, we're just so excited to show On the Edge to the world and to see more of your amazing work and to see your journey into motherhood and all the other amazing things that you've got going on. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks very much. Not at all. Thanks for having me. Oh, that was a very powerful, inspiring conversation. We just love Nina. She's so brilliant. <laughs> we do yeah she brings out the best in everyone I really do think that 
I think that applies to her films and also in person. She seems to have a little knack for bringing out the good stuff in people. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, thanks for that conversation. Lots to think about. Plenty in there, yeah. Opened a little hatch (laughs) that you didn't want to open. (laughs) I did want to open it, (laughs) but I'm glad I did. I feel like uh, hopefully um, the listeners will find something in there for them that may um, provide some hope, I hope. Yeah. And now it's time for our very last quiz. Emma, out you come. Here here I am. Thanks, guys. Here she is. Let's make her stay out of the box now, shall we? (laughs) Carry on with life. We'll see. I might do really badly in this quiz and then just retreat to it with uh, my (laughs) giant tail between my legs. (laughs) Eva, fire away. Well, it being the final uh, episode of this series, it's back to beavers. So we have a little beaver quiz. Home court advantage again. Uh, Sorry about that. (laughs) We are the Beaver Trust. Let's go with the flow. So, question one. Is mm. a simple true or false? Oh. Baby beavers are born ready and able to swim from day one. <gasps> true. true. True or false? Unanimous true. Very confident in your answers, ladies. It is indeed true. Okay. <laughs> yes. Cool. Clawing Too easy. <laughs> question two. Mm. True or false? Mm. Beavers can tolerate salt water and build dams in estuaries. Oh my god! I have no idea. Okay, I'm gonna. Um, I'm. I'm gonna say I'm false so because I, I'm not well. sure they can. I. I think they have been known to be. They've been found in estuarine salty areas, but I'm not sure they can tolerate it well. So I'm gonna say false. Emma, I. I would have led false because I. I would have thought their food sources and things would have. Would they be different in salty environments? It's like the di- different trees tolerated. We need a true or false, I'm, falsing, I'm, I'm falsing. <laughs> it is in fact true. No. Yeah, is that's it? fascinating. They have built dams in estuaries. Okay. So, wow. um, I'd like to know what their tipping point is. We'll have to look tolerance. into that a little more, mm. won't we? One to investigate. Science communication needed that. Cool. Uh, right. And question three is my favourite. So, beaver dams have been found at dizzying heights, but how high was the highest one found? Was it A, 1,250 metres? From ben sea Nevis level, being a little bit, yeah, yeah. Ben Nevis being a little bit. No, it's just a really, really tall dam. <laughs> really tall dam. <laughs> B, three thousand six hundred and fifty meters, which is Gosh. just short of Mount Cook. Oh. Or C, just over four thousand meters, an equivalent being the Matterhorn. Great mountain. Damn. By the way, how high I think, Beaver Dam's okay. been found? A. 1,250, mm. B, 3,650, or C, just over 4,000 metres. I'm going to go big because it's the last it's the last. Go big episode. or go home. I'm going to go big. Well, I am home, so I'll just stay. I'll go big and stay <laughs> home. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go, I think because the way you said it, you sounded like so pumped about it. So I'm going to say C, the Matterhorn height, 4,000 something. Okay, I'll go. I'll go B then. I'll go for the three thousand because I mean four thousand. You start to get altitude sickness, don't you? As a yeah. as a person, so are, are beavers Gosh. acclimated? Maybe Eva doesn't. Eva's but maybe they are. Beavers are amazing. Maybe these yeah. high altitude beavers exist, and I've just not come across them. That would be very well, cool. Astonishingly, they have been found. It bees the correct answer. It was three thousand six hundred fifty meters, which is amazing. That is nearly the height of Mount Cook. That's incredibly high. That's amazing. Beavers well, continue over twice to Ben Nevis. 
pretty cool. Thanks for that quiz. So there you are. There you have it. That was a great Beaver. quiz. Great quiz. Thanks all. Beaver fun. Thanks, Eva. Episode six. Do you want the final scores on the doors? Oh, hello. For the yeah, series? Gosh. I do. I've efficient. been keeping diligent notes. Writing on the walls of your box. Yes, yeah, just <laughs> ca- carving it Day in one. With, my, with my claws. <laughs> Day 509. <laughs> <laughs> who, do, you, do you have a feeling? Who do you think's won? Can you remember? No idea. <laughs> I think that's cool. But it was a fun, fun lot of quizzes. It was good, good uh, creativity, I think, in our quizzing. Mm. Um, Eva, you are the, the quiz winner. I knew it. For the year, oh. with a solid nine points. You're leagues oh, ahead. solid nine Solid points. nine. <laughs> did, I get a, did I get a solid two or something? You got a respectable five. Oh. You're a respectable oh. five. How about you, Emma? I got a slippery oh, six. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I, was doing, I was doing the worst, but I, it was that last question for me. Oh. With the altitude. That was good. Oh, nice. what, what an interesting year we've had, or series we've had of learning strange things via the yeah. medium of science communication quiz. Crazy Indeed. quizzes. I mean, science what communication fun. can apply to anything, we found. Um, <laughs> well, good. Very nice. I think, alas, that is it for this episode and, I guess, series three of the Lodgecast. Yes, if you anticipate a beaver-sized content hole in your life next week, don't forget you can still go back and listen to all six episodes of this series and from those series one and two that are available on the usual platforms. Indeed. I mean, we've spoken to some brilliant people about all sorts of amazing things from Green Prescribing with Dr. Amir Khan and Nature on Our Doorsteps with Gillian Perk to Broadcasting and Cake with Yolo Williams and Climate Change with the amazing Simon Reeve. I highly recommend going through the archives if you haven't already. We will be back later in the year with another series, but do make sure you've subscribed to the Lodgecast on your podcast platform of choice so that you don't miss it or any sneaky bonus episode that we might just surprise you with in the summer. So for more from Beaver Trust, don't forget that you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Beaver Trust or head over to our website beavertrust.org and sign up for our free and fun newsletter. This is also your last chance to get involved in our Series 3 giveaway. We've got a few copies of Derek Gow's book, Bringing Back the Beaver, about reintroducing beavers in the UK, ready to send out to you lucky listeners. And for a final chance to win, you can tweet about how much you've enjoyed listening to The Lodgecast by tagging at Beavertrust and using hashtag The Lodgecast. Or you could share an Instagram post or story Or you can even leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and then email us so that we know it was you and we can thank you very much over at info at beavertrust.org. See you very soon. Bye. This podcast, as always, is a mixture of fact and opinion. It was hosted by Sophie Pavel and Eva Bishop. It was produced and edited by Emma Brisdian for Beaver Trust.